Welcome to the Dog Knowledge Podcast. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us as we discuss all things dog, dog training, and dog behavior. I'm Renee Erdman, your host. I am a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and own bravodog.ca. Today we have Dr. Claudia Richter joining us, who is a veterinary behaviorist in residence. She's going to talk to us all about medication used in behavior, and her website is www.pacificvetbehavior.com if you'd like to learn more about her and her credentials. Thank you for joining us, and here's our episode. Oh. Hi, Dr. Richter. Hi, Renee. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. No worries. No worries. Thanks for having me. Great. We're excited. Um, why awesome. don't you start just by giving us sort of a rundown of your background and um, just a bit about you? Okay. So my name is Dr. Claudia Richter. I'm a veterinarian. Graduated um, a number of years ago <laughs> <laughs> <Not that old>. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from the University of Munich. <laughs> I've yeah. been uh, working in a small animal um, a practice for about uh, almost 11 years now. I owned a clinic for about six years and um, about a year, just over a year ago, I started a residency in uh, veterinary behavior with the um, American College of Veterinary Behaviorists. Um, mm-hmm. And my mentor in uh, Texas, Dr. Kenneth Martin. Excellent. Well, that's me. Nice. Okay. So, what what um, what made you decide to specialize in in behavior? Um, you know what? I've I've always worked a lot with the uh, with the SPCA um, and and other rescue organizations, and uh, very much enjoyed that. Um, but what I was always sort of I was happy to help the animals that that don't have you know, an owner or uh, somebody who cares for them other than the SPCA. Um, but I was always looking for a way to keep animals out of the shelter. Um, right. And then over the years um, in in sort of the more traditional medicine, um, I kind of figured that uh, behavior is really what gets animals into the shelter most often. And uh, mm-hmm. so I figured if I can help them before they get into the shelter, maybe we can keep them out of the shelter a bit more. That was sort of my thought and uh, yeah, found my calling. Well, and I'm sure over the years, as you saw clients just in your, in your practice, um, behavior probably (laughs) became more and more of, of something on the forefront, maybe to you that we're, yeah, that um, often owners need help with there and probably they're not even discussing with their, with their vets, are they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of, I've, I've, that's what I kind of found more and more over the last, as I have a, I've had an, an interest in behavior over probably the last three to five years, mm-hmm. um, more so in, in, in conjunction kind of with veterinary medicine and with practicing veterinary medicine. Um, but especially over the last year, what I've noticed is, is that we as veterinarians probably don't ask the right questions oftentimes and owners mm-hmm. don't really think that veterinarians are in, involved in, in that part of their animal's care. So, right. Yeah, right. you're absolutely right. So there's sort of a disconnect, you think, um, oftentimes with um, with vets and, and their clients and, well, just vice versa, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. But I also think that there maybe is a disconnect between vets and trainers. I think we need to work together 
uh-huh. a lot more. Yes. I mean, you and I have yeah. been working together for, I don't, I don't even know, like three or four years or something like that, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and it's been certainly very successful, right? That, that relationship, I think for the animals that we work with, and, and I'm hoping that we can kind of strengthen that relationship uh, between other mm-hmm. trainers and, and veterinary clinics a lot more, because then I think we can help a lot more animals yeah that way. yeah I, I think I, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately and it, from the perspective of maybe a vet's um, point of view would be mm-hmm. because the dog training industry I mean there's really there's no regulations there's mm-hmm. no standards I wonder as a vet if if a lot of them feel like gosh like who who mm-hmm. who would I even trust that's qualified to work with me and my clients um mm-hmm to to help them right so it's got to be tough for yeah. them to to um to make that choice um yeah i get this a work. lot yeah. yeah i get it a lot from veterinarians that they ask me for advice on like um on how to find a trainer and who i work yeah. with and and things like that and i've sort of over the years have come up with ways of figuring out and looking at what kind of qualifications um i'm mm-hmm. looking for in a trainer but it's even for me it's difficult yeah. Um, to figure out what, what they do. Um, yeah. Do you think like the different certifications that trainers have help you to determine whether or not they'd be suitable or is it a combination of yeah. personality, qualifications, all, that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, if you're working with a trainer, like just like with anybody, I think it, there has to be sort of first that you like each other. <laughs> yeah, That's <laughs> the first thing. Um, but yeah, certainly when I look at um, when, when clients come to me and they say, if we're working with a trainer, um, I'll go on their website and I'll look at what kind of certifications they've had um, right. because that gives me some information, at least on, on the, um, uh, on the direction that, that they go in um, mm-hmm. and in, in what methods they, they use and what they work with mm-hmm. um, and whether there's a science-based background there. Um, right. So that's sort of the first thing that I look at. And uh, it often helps me a little bit looking at videos and things like that, that, that people have made. Um, but right. uh, <laughs> funny enough, a lot of the good trainers have probably the worst websites because they don't have time. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. they don't have time to make videos and, and, and all those kind of things. That doesn't mean that somebody who makes videos doesn't have good, um, uh, yeah. good skills. But yeah, I mean, help me determine whether or not I want to work with that person and then I I recommend to to veterinarians to go to classes um Mm -hmm. um and even just audit classes right you don't even have to have a dog you can just audit a class and look at what these people are doing and sit down with the trainer and see what their interests are and whether or not there's a, a, a path forward to work together yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So can you explain to us what exactly a veterinary behaviorist is and does? Um, so a veterinary behaviorist is, obviously the, the name implies that we're veterinarians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you've had, you have to have gone to vet school, um, get your veterinary certification. Um, and then at the very minim- minimum, um, you have to have an internship in and it doesn't really matter where that internship, what that internship is in, um, which Mm -hmm. is one year. And then you have completed um, a residency in veterinary behavior and there's different avenues. I'm uh, because there's nobody in BC that, that does this. Uh, My mentor is in Texas. So I'm doing what's called a non-conforming residency, which Mm -hmm. means all my education will be uh, distance based at different universities and different classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've spent uh, a certain amount of time with my mentor in Texas and he spent some time with me here as well. And I 
kind of I try to go down there on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Or um, and that does a three-year program or there's another two to three-year program um, that's a conforming residency where the resident is uh, working with their mentor in a practice or in, um, at, at a university. Okay. Yeah, okay. so that's kind of what we completed. So what makes a veterinary behaviorist a little bit different from, from a behaviorist um, is, is that, that we as veterinarians, we can look at the entire medical history of the animal and take into account if there's any other differentials that could be causing the behavior, right? So mm-hmm. neurological diseases can, like seizures, can oftentimes look like a behavioral problem. Right. Um, pain can cause massive behavior changes. And I certainly had a number of patients where um, I went to the house and, and looked at the, the animal and said that, you know, had to basically tell the owner this is not a behavioral problem. It's a right. medical problem that needs to be fixed first. And then we need to see what, what behaviors are left at the end. Um, wow. That's yeah. So, so that's sort of, yeah, that's really, really important, I think. And that differentiates us a little bit from, from yeah. behaviors. Yeah. Um, and so, there's hardly any veterinary behaviorists, um, like there aren't any in BC at all, are there? And for those of you that are listening, we're in British Columbia in Canada. So mm-hmm. um, why do you think so few vets are specializing in, um, in behavior? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that I mean, we, we get very little um, behavior training in school. Right. Um, and I think uh, some of the vet schools, for example, like since we're in Canada and, and the closest vet college to us is Saskatoon, right? Um, right. In uh, Saskatchewan. And um, they they have a, I believe it's a two-week course with Dr. Van Haften. Um, and uh, so so I think some of the vet schools are catching on and, and they're starting to, to teach behavior more and more. But I can tell you, when I went to school, I graduated in 2004 and yeah. uh, I barely got any behavior training, right? So I think it's an it's mm-hmm. it's sort of a slow process that we're slowly recognizing how, just how important um, behavior is for our animals, and mm-hmm. also maybe with the emerging like the, the fact that we have more dogs and maybe more dogs from a problematic background um, uh-huh. that that it's becoming more and more of a need. I, that's what. Yeah. is that that's why it's slowly catching on right yeah. so yeah well and you definitely have, would have to have a special interest in in that in yes behavior and um, yeah it's, for sure i'm sure you it's very different than you specializing in um dental or which you kind of do anyway so don't you <laughs> <As well. laughs> but it's totally it's a totally different world right because now you are ha- you're now having not having to but you're working with dog trainers right Mm -hmm. and clients and their dogs so it's a totally different world than if you were medically specializing in something I guess Um, yeah it's it's definitely yeah yeah for sure for sure I I mean I I thought for a long time about specializing in dentistry which is sort of my second passion and yeah um it was certainly yeah it's it's very different and and I I mean this is from my family and sometimes even from colleagues I'll still face Mm -hmm. the Oh, your doggy psychologist, or your mm-hmm. the doggy whisperer, or something like that, and it's kind of not really, still not regarded as as like a a serious serious profession or serious specialization yeah. or anything that's similar to being a surgeon or something like that. And and I think, right. and I don't know this because I, I I don't have any friends that are psychiatrists, but I'm I'm 
guessing that psychiatrists and psychologists face the same problem, right? This is that, right. you know, and this is partially because there's such a stigma attached to, to mental, mental disorders, health. right? Yeah. And mental health and people and God knows and dogs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what do you, um, what are you finding is the most um, challenging part of, of what you're doing right now? Um, finding the time to see all the patients <laughs> uh-huh. yeah so how are you booking right now because you really are the only one doing what you're doing in yeah. bc yeah so so um, right now i don't i don't do this full time i work yeah. about t- three days a week probably yeah on on this i'm still working as a general practitioner for a couple more months um mm-hmm. but i'm uh, booked all the way into october so yeah you That's can imagine, like, if, crazy. if I was doing it full-time, I would probably be booked um, until the end of August, is my guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's definitely, that's the biggest challenge for me. Um, the uh-huh. next challenge is probably then um, sometimes the pushback that we get, and, and you will know this, um, this because it's the same thing, yeah. um, pushback against positive reinforcement training sometimes. Um, okay. And then by the time a patient comes to see me, then it's very likely that, that they need medication, right? I mean, I right. would say probably ninety to ninety-five percent percent of my patients is um, is uh, are receiving medication, and that's not because I'm happy to dispense medication to just anybody, right? Of um, it's because these patients really need it, and and I, I truly, when I talk to the owners about whether or not medication is needed, it's it, we we always make a very informed decision, and and a lot of these. Dogs are at, at a higher risk of e- either being euthanized or being surrendered. Um, right. Be, you know, and, and I'm oftentimes, unfortunately, the last resort, right? Um, yeah. So the, there's, there's definitely still a pushback against medication. Um, but I do find that um, by the time the, the, the clients that come to see me, they usually know that, that medication is needed for their pets. So right. from the clients themselves, I actually very rarely get pushback on medication right because that's why they call me um but i do get it from oftentimes from from sometimes veterinarians um i get mm-hmm. it sometimes from spouses from friends from the dog trainer the dog walker yeah. um i've heard it from sort of all kind of areas right? right um and and there's some clients who just simply don't tell anybody that their dog is on prozac mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad right yeah <laughs> that, for sure. uh, and it's it's it, you have to think about it this way it's like okay well it, it, you're obviously not prescribing medication because you're trying to do something negative you know yeah. you're obviously doing this because Mm-hmm. You're trying to improve the welfare of the animal, you know, for the animal and also for yeah. the humans that live with them. So it's mm-hmm. not something, obviously, that you take lightly. Um, no, so no, not at all. Yeah, it, it's definitely, I mean, I think to you and, and, and to me as well, if it's needed and it helps and it's um, beneficial in the process of mm-hmm. behavior change and welfare, then seems to be a no brainer, but there's, yeah, I, I can imagine it's difficult um, when you do get that pushback or mm-hmm. negative feedback from people that don't know what's going on. Right. The speculation mm-hmm. and things like that. So. Well, yeah. and it's, there's a fear, I think. And, and there's this, I think there's these thoughts that we need to, I don't know, exercise their dogs more, provide them more enrichment or, you know, and and certainly those are all, those are all valid points and and they're all taken into account when when we do treat an animal. But 
Mm-hmm. One thing that I also always tell people is, is that there is, there's certainly diseases that I treat that where the animal is, is most likely going to be on medication for the rest of its life, right? The very, right. the most common one for that is, is cognitive dysfunction, which is comparable to Alzheimer's disease in, in people. Um, mm-hmm. These are older dogs and, and um, those dogs, we know that this is a progressive disease and, and medication will just help kind of make that process easier for, for the dog, for the family and prolong, hopefully prolong the process and give the dog a good quality of life for mm-hmm. a little bit longer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in a lot of the, the diseases that, that I treat, my, my goal is, is always to take the dog off medication again. Right. So right. it's also, it's, it's, and meditation isn't, isn't what's going to fix these dogs or these, these cats or other animals that we treat. Right. So medication mm-hmm. isn't what's going to fix them. Medication just helps Mm-hmm. the people the humans around this animal fix mm-hmm. them right so if we have a dog that's my, my biggest example that i always use is, is if i have a dog that's aggressive uh, towards other dogs because they're afraid of other dogs and their threshold is i can see a dog from 10 blocks away well that's not a realistic threshold when we're dealing yeah. with dogs that are living in downtown vancouver or north vancouver or wherever across the lower mainland mm-hmm. right it's very unrealistic and it's not something that we can we can really realistically work with when we're when we're training with these dogs and trying to do behavior modification. So medif- mm-hmm. medication will help get that threshold down, and then we work on teaching that dog that hey, other dogs are not so bad. They actually, they just are like a predictor for food, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And once that learning happens, and and uh, once we have like a consistent period of learning. Um, mm-hmm. depending on the animal, we're looking anywhere from three to six months where these animals are doing really well and our goals are met. Then my first thing to do is, hey, let's get your dog off medication. And funny mm-hmm. enough, as much pushback as I get sometimes from putting a dog on medication, um, once an owner has um, a dog that, that's doing much, much better since being put on medication, they're oftentimes actually reluctant to take them back. Oh, off. I bet. I bet they're, they're scared <laughs> yeah, that things you know? are going to go back to the way that they were, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have had one dog that suffered from separation anxiety for seven years. Seven oh. years that dog had not been able to be left alone. And mm-hmm. and then um, now this dog, after nine months of treatment, is, is doing great. And she can be left alone. And, and she's doing much better overall. She had some other anxieties. And she's doing great. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, time to take her off the medication or start slowly tapering her down. And, no. and the owner's like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so sometimes yeah, I thought. actually have to go and be the pushing factor here and, and say, hey, let's take them off because the, the, clearly dog's quality of life is so much improved, right? Yeah. But in, in a lot of these cases, we get them down to either the lowest effective um, dosage mm-hmm. or we get them off the medication. And, and that's okay because the dog has now learned that everything life is okay yeah yeah <laughs> life is good you know yeah exactly well so tell us a little bit about um the so what are some common um mistakes that are made when uh medication is prescribed for behavior issues and i mean mistake um are there common mistakes that either clients are making or mm-hmm. yeah maybe let's because you can't speak for other vets that would be unprofessional right? <laughs> <laughs> well um, i mean i can i can speak for myself for when yeah. i i yeah. mean I, I i can tell you that in in the years before before I started learning more and more about behavior, I, I've certainly prescribed medication to, to dogs before without 
doing anything else. We just right. thought, okay, medication is, is what fixes the dog, right? Because right. that's what we learned, right? Um, mm. But uh, I think the biggest mistake is, is to think that medication is going to fix the dog. That's the biggest mistake. Medi mm -hmm. Medication will help you fix your dog. The behavior modification is what's going to help fix the dog. Right. Um, I mean, there is certain diseases um, where, yeah, medication is going to, to fix the dog, right? So like something like PTSD in, in people, like, you know, obviously that's <laughs> the, the medication is a huge part of it, right? But over time, the hope is, is that medication becomes less and less part and behavior modification is more and more as learning occurs behavior modification becomes more and more important. I always tell people that there is, to me, for behavior, when we're looking at treatment for behavior, that there's three parts of the treatment. And the, obviously, by the time you come to me, there's three parts, let's say it that way. Um, the first one is safety and management. We need to, there's certain things that if you have a dog that's, that's fearful of children and has in turn then learned that aggression keeps that, those children away, Well, that's not a dog you're going to go and have as a therapy dog in a children's hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not yeah. a realistic thing to do. So safety and management is the first thing there. Um, muzzling a dog, those kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. And then avoiding certain situations. And then the second thing is, uh, let's see whether or not, let's, di let's make a, a correct diagnosis on, on why is this, like what's the motivating factor? What kind of disease are we dealing with here? Um, and then decide is is medication an option or is it necessary for this dog's welfare and for the welfare of the dogs and people around it. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is behavior modification. And that's really where um, I will prescribe a behavior modification plan. But this is mm -hmm. where the trainers come into plan into interaction. Right. Right. Um, this is where I say, hey, this is what you need to do. But the practical implication is going to be done by, by somebody like you or or other trainers around. Right. Yeah. So those are the three, three big parts. And I, I think that, um, that, 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 yeah, the biggest mistake is, is not prescribing behavior modification because I have several mm -hmm. patients that have been on behavior medic medication for a number of years before I get involved. Right. Uh, or got involved. And, um, most of the owners tell me that, yeah, medication worked great in the beginning, but then it just stopped working. Mm -hmm. that's because you haven't done anything to teach the dog that this world isn't mm -hmm. so bad. Right. Um, right. And I think the same thing occurs in people, right? If you just, just taking Prozac isn't going to fix you. It's going to make you feel better for a while, but then you also need to do the work um, around it. So, yeah, no, those are excellent points. Um, prevention and management. Um, and I don't know how you explain this to clients is mm -hmm. um, if we don't, so the so let's say there's an uh, there's an aggression issue going on and and as you mentioned the animal learns that okay well by using aggression it gets me the space and distance that i need from the trigger if mm -hmm. it continues and the animal keeps practicing it the chances of you changing that behavior are slim to none correct so mm -hmm. i don't know if that's how you explain it to clients um but often i think that's a big chunk that's missing from the whole piece of the puzzle as well like you mentioned mm -hmm. right yeah 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 I mean sometimes sometimes you have to get these animals out of those situations but it's sometimes it's yeah. difficult right um I mean I have some patients that that I mean we've talked about this a lot right we we get some of these dogs that are coming from from other countries or being flown on an airplane or something like that um or even dogs that are here that that were completely under socialized um 
and namely like the sled dogs, right? A few years ago. Um, right. Yeah. Those dogs were completely under socialized. And, and while the life that they were leading was absolutely horrible, it was the only life they knew. And when mm-hmm. you bring those dogs into a house in Vancouver, well, they, they just shut down, right? They're just, mm-hmm. I mean, these dogs don't even get out of the house. So these dogs are true behavioral emergencies, right? Um, right. Those dogs need drugs to just exist. Um, but they, in those cases, it's hard to remove all the triggers, right? But if you have a dog that lives in, I keep mentioning North Van, but you can, you can say Maple Ridge, it doesn't matter. <laughs> an area <laughs> yeah. where, an area where, um, where we have people that have backyards and access to a backyard, um, then what I'll oftentimes do in the first, you know, a couple of months where we start with medications is we go and just avoid walks for a little bit. If you have a dog that's really aggressive and, and, and afraid of like people, dogs and, 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 you know, cars and all those kind of things, then maybe we're going to just go ahead and avoid um, walking that dog for a little bit and give it the exercise. Um, in mm-hmm. the backyard and use mental mental exercise for a couple of months um, mm-hmm. in order to kind of reset that dog, put them in a happy bubble for a little bit mm-hmm. and just kind of give them a break, give them a breather. And oftentimes right. it's a breather for the owners as well, because trust me, when an owner goes out with a dog like that, they, they're not having fun on a walk either, it's right? It's stressful. Yeah, yeah, it's really stressful. True. It's emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and then we yeah. start giving that dog like slow exposure slow Mm -hmm. slow slow really minimal exposure to the outside world again but it's always positive exposure and and but we're now lowering the threat or increasing the threshold so that with the medication so that they don't react to every single noise and every single dog and every single person that's out there right right yeah and I think it's hard for um for us to accept that exercise is not the solution you know physical exercise Mm. the dog needs a walk the dog needs to get out there and be um we need to tire them out that way and that that will help when Mm -hmm. you know really it's um it's not helping a lot of the time right as you as you have yeah especially yeah I mean I have a number of dogs that are afraid of um where one of the problems that I mean there's usually other problems but one of the problems that they sometimes list is oh he's afraid when I bring up the harness he doesn't like his harness <laughs> when right. I go there and then we go through the problem list and, and it actually turns out that the harness is not really the problem. The harness, right. I mean, there are certainly dogs that are afraid of their harnesses. So don't get me wrong. It's when they have issues with body handling and things like that. Um, and I do have a number of those patients as well, but I do have a number of patients that just, they see the leash and mm-hmm. they just run. <laughs> I just had a yeah. patient this week that just ran away from the leash. And it's not that he doesn't like, doesn't, want to go and exercise he's just afraid of going out there right right and the leash represents having to go out there right and so these dogs um yeah they need help you know yeah are you seeing oh sorry Um, no go ahead i was just um that sort of i don't know how this led me to 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 this point but Mm -hmm. um a lot of dogs that i see um before i refer them to you or recommend they see you um either if they have anxiety or they're having reactivity issues they almost always seem to have some kind of dietary um not i don't know if it's dietary but they have um you know they've got issues either they've got diarrhea often or Mm -hmm. upset stomach um what are your thoughts on that is it um you know, is that, do you see that commonly as well? Yeah. 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 I, I do see this fairly common that um, it's, it's part of our um, 
questionnaire that our intake questionnaire as well, um, asking mm-hmm. about, you know, their gastrointestinal system. And I do see it quite often that the dogs will have multiple stools per walk and, you know, it sort of progressively goes more, more and more to soft and diarrhea. Yeah. Um, we oftentimes have dogs that are vomiting a fair mm-hmm. amount. Um, we have dogs that are not eating very well. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not that they don't like their food, you know. And we, often, yeah. we sometimes worry about one of the side effects of, of some of the medications we prescribe is, is that they sometimes may become a little bit inappetent. But I've actually also right. seen the opposite, that all of a sudden you take the anxiety away and they're like, oh, I'm relaxed enough to eat now. But we know this from people, right? There is a connection yeah. between your brain and, and, between, and your gastrointestinal system. We know this from people. If you're cranky, oftentimes you get, your guts respond to that. And the other way around, yeah. right? If you're not feeling well, then you're cranky, yeah. right? So um, I do think so. I mean, we, you and I both have a patient together, right? That, um, yeah. that had for years and years gastrointestinal issues. And, and now he's doing much, much better. And he's only in the first three months of treatment. And, but he is doing so much better. He would get bloody diarrhea yeah. when he goes to the vet. Oh, well, that's oh, terrible. And yeah. Now he can have vet visits that don't lead to bloody diarrhea, you know? Mm. So that's, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's a huge cost factor yeah. there too for the owners, right? Well, and if you're constantly looking at, okay, well, it's, it's a dietary issue and then we're going to look at is it food allergies and then we have to do food allergy testing and then mm-hmm. we're doing an elimination diet and mm-hmm. then that limits what foods you can use for, for behavior modification. Mm-hmm. It's like this. Yeah. So I think, um, getting to see a, you know, a veterinary behaviorist, if they, if you've got anxiety behavior mm-hmm. problems and, and seeing, you know, dietary issues happening as well, that it's likely all related. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, we see that a lot. Right. So, yeah. um, some other questions that I've got for you mm-hmm. are, uh, I have some from Instagram. If we can go through mm-hmm. a couple of these, maybe, um, one question I have is, uh, when is it time to start? When is it time to try using medication for behavior issues? Who do I speak to to understand when it's right for my dog? Um, so, I mean, certainly, it's a it's a good idea to to see a trainer, a positive reinforcement trainer, um, or talk to your veterinarian, right? Um, to first right. figure out is this a behavioral issue that we're dealing with? Um, I usually require dogs that that are referred to me. Um, to, to go ahead and, and see a veterinarian unless they're unable to get to the vet because they're so afraid of leaving the house. Um, but otherwise, we certainly do try um, and get, get a veterinary examination to rule out things like pain and, and, and other metabolic issues and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the first step. And then um, talk to your veterinarian, see if they're comfortable with um, uh, diagnosing uh, uh, behavior issues. Um, or uh, if they're, you know, if they say, yeah, this sounds like a behavior issue, maybe we should refer you. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is ta- when, if you have a positive reinforcement trainer and, and, and you have a good relationship with them and you trust them, talk to them and see whether or not um, they think that this is a behavioral issue or whether we're dealing just with normal puppy issues, right? Um, because right. there's certainly when I go to houses and, and I'll see a younger dog that there is a number of the, there's, there's a number of the problems oftentimes that are just simply you know, like things like, Oh, he's jumping up on people. When, when people come to the door, that's in most cases is not going to be a behavior problem. That's usually 
just a training problem, right? That we need to teach the right. dog that not jumping up on people is actually what gets it, um, what mm-hmm. it wants. Um, and then thinking about when, when is a time to, to use medications, then it's, if you cannot find a threshold um, for your dog that's, that's workable, um, mm-hmm. that's certainly the first thing that where I would think about, okay, you know, if it, that, that dog with the 10 blocks, it's reacting to other dogs and you're living in downtown Vancouver, that's not going to be a realistic starting point for you or for the dog. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have certainly any dog that injures itself, so it starts, um, destroying things when you're leaving it, for example, um, those are, um, those are dogs that obviously need, need help. Um, or mm-hmm. when you have dogs that are, that are, what we like to call shutdown, right? Um, that are right. Where, where they're just severe, constant fears. Um, I have a couple of dogs that are literally living behind the couch, and they mm-hmm. don't, they, they, you know, they don't come out from behind the couch. Well, that's not a normal thing for a dog. Or you get, you pick up your puppy from the airport, um, and it's, you know, it's completely shut down. Well, that's an emergency, right? That's a dog because mm-hmm. maybe we can reverse that that problem um, with medication relatively quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't avoid the stimulus at all, or if there's mm-hmm. so many stimuli that, that you just, you know, that, again, the, the dog is just constantly over threshold, right? Um, and anything pushes them over the edge. Um, those mm-hmm. are the things. Um, separation anxiety, I do find when it's severe, if it's a milder separation anxiety, um, then sometimes we might be able to treat it just with training, but um, the severe separation anxiety where they injure themselves and where they um, destroy the house and, and they're just in a complete panic because the owner is gone. Those mm-hmm. ones I find usually need medication um, because it is also very unrealistic for most people not to leave their dog alone for a little bit. Um, yeah. So that's sort of, um, that's probably uh, the, the, the most common ones, you know, aggression and I know there's always a, a big big sort of discussion about aggression and, and how to treat it mm-hmm. should we treat it and, and things but to me aggression is usually a fear-based uh, disease mm-hmm. and, and so I think finding out the underlying fear and figuring out can we treat this dog is it realistic to treat this dog in the family that it's in um, is mm-hmm. certainly something we need to look at um, and if in most cases, we're, we're successful in at least controlling it better, right? So aggression can't be cured, but we're at least, right. you know, we can at least control it and make it a livable condition for both the owners and, and the dog. Mm-hmm. So I think those mm-hmm. are sort of the one, ones that kind of come to mind really quickly. There's certainly, you know, like cognitive dysfunction is one that I think should be treated. Um, right. And earlier, the earlier is better there's like OCD behaviors like tail chasing and, and shadow hunting and those kind of things um, that mm-hmm. most likely will require treatment as well. Um, I right, think right. Those are kind of the ones I hope I didn't forget anything here that I, yeah. but I think those are the ones that, um, that if not, Oh yeah, I guess there's one, one more. If you, if you have a dog that's situationally very, very fearful um, and looking at Canada day and, and, <laughs> Is it uh-huh. tomorrow? Tomorrow, right? Looking at Canada <laughs> <Yes>. Day, <laughs> or um, if there's any people from the U.S., then uh, certainly July Fourth. Um, so fireworks, um, and or if you live in thunderstorm areas, um, 
and it's a situational mm-hmm. anxiety uh, where it's really the dog is otherwise completely normal. Um, like my own dog suffers from fireworks, firework anxiety, and I certainly give her a little bit. I don't, I don't. She's not in a panic, so I just give her a, a small amount of medication. But it certainly mm-hmm. helps her go get through that day or the days sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing to think about is um, for veterinary visits as well, right? Um, because a lot of dogs that are otherwise completely normal, they're just severely fearful of the veterinarian, whether they had a bad experience at a veterinarian in the past, or they're just, you know, I mean, just didn't have a good experience. Let's say it that way, right? Um, so those ones, right. um, I'm a big fan of, of giving them something. It's like taking a Valium before you go to the dentist, right? It's, right. it's yeah. going to help you. I wish somebody had offered me that. I know. Well, and you know, I really think a lot of dogs um, would benefit uh, those that go for regular grooming that are extremely terrified. Good point. Yeah. That's an, that's good. That's, that's often an hour or longer Mm -hmm. of pure hell for a lot of dogs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can do a lot of work with them when they're puppies, of course, Mm -hmm. but it really, it it can not be a pleasurable experience. I, I, and I am, I apologize if it, if it is Mm -hmm. to any groomers out there that are listening that they, they are doing it fear-free and mm-hmm. and stress-free and I'm sure there are some they're hard to find mm-hmm. um but I can imagine that it's it's got to be really tough <laughs> yeah it can't be I yeah. mean it, it all depends also you know even if you're the groomer you start grooming a dog when it's two years old but there was maybe mm-hmm. a groomer before that 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 didn't use it's not just about being good at the groomer it's it's about or at the vet, it's about, actually, yeah. do, are they having a great time, right? And yeah. are they having a really good experience? Yeah. And and I always worry about these dogs that are like, that come to the vet and people tell me, oh, he's fine at the vet. He just lets them do whatever. And, I, and right. then, then I start asking, is he taking any treats? Is he like, does he, does he want to go into the vet office? And they say, no, no, he doesn't want to go in. But once he's in, he's fine. Those are yeah. the dogs that I worry about because those are the dogs that at some point they're going to escalate and potentially um, show aggression because we, we didn't pay attention to the fact that they're actually afraid and that they're just frozen when they're there and they're just like, let's just get this done and over with. But it's not that they're having a great experience, which is why it's so important, I think, that we do um, that the puppy visits for groomers, for veterinarians, for trainers, that they, they really just right. have a grand old time. I mean, prevention is is the best for any of those things right yeah well and I was reading a a study yesterday just about um uh dog training methods and Mm -hmm. and you know who's using what sort of thing and and in it 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 does state that many dog owners are scolding their dog if they do not cooperate with treatment at the vet Mm -hmm. um and it it, and using um methods that are just going to make things much worse so Mm -hmm. it's tough they're having they're having a hard time Mm -hmm. they're not trying to give us a hard time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Um, i didn't come up with that phrase i've heard it a few times Mm -hmm. but um yeah and medication in in a lot of these cases can really help them but early um early proper socialization can help as well right yeah and making sure that they have a good time that they really have a good time it has to be a good time not just putting up with it not just um dealing with it right yeah and there's a lot um, of really good tools out there right like there's the low stress handling there's the fear free and there's Mm -hmm. the fear free happy homes now that um I haven't looked a lot at the website. Yep. I haven't had any time to do that. But there is that that is a website for pet owners to look at. What should I look at when I take my dog to the vet? And and 
what do I do at home and things like that. I don't know if it has any grooming um, advice on there, but um, certainly that's something. But you'd have to think that, you know, the benefit of good body handling um, Mm -hmm. would hopefully bleed into a little bit of of grooming. Mm -hmm. But definitely if you've got a, if you've got a dog that needs to be groomed a lot and when, and you're getting them as a puppy, a big focus on positive mm-hmm. um, associations would be would be a, yeah uh, for sure. really important and making sure um, you, your groomer gives gives the dog a good time there right um, yeah so the just first, yeah. yeah so much goes <laughs> treats go such a long way <laughs> with puppies there, it's so yeah I know it's <laughs> I think too when you're working in it then it's it's a no brainer mm-hmm. but I guess you know from the outside sometimes I guess it's it's hard to break through those old thoughts that you know, dogs should want to do things and we shouldn't have to use food and, Mm -hmm. you know, but hopefully times are changing a bit. Well, one of the things that I always started like telling people is, is that we need to stop seeing our dogs as these creatures that that have to submit to us and have to do what we want them to do is, Mm -hmm. is, I think we should see them more as a partner, which then um, it's, it becomes less, I I went to a course by uh, Ken Ramirez. He's a a KPA trainer and down in, uh, by Seattle mm-hmm. and he um he was suggesting that really we, we probably should get rid of the word training altogether it should be more teaching and learning uh-huh. right um and I actually thought that that was quite great I mean it's it's going to take probably 100 years before that happens yeah. <laughs> progress is, <laughs> progress slow, is sometimes. slow sometimes right we know that yeah. um but uh I think that that when we see it more as teaching and and thinking about Hey, you cannot scold your dog for something that he just simply doesn't know, right? Like if you scolding a puppy for peeing on the floor doesn't achieve Mm -hmm. anything. And it's not really fair because for him, the world is a bathroom. That's all it is, right? For him, the world is a bathroom and (laughs) he doesn't know that that's, he's not supposed to pee there. So how can you scold him? Is that really fair to do that? And how can you scold him for not, for wiggling at the vet when, we're all like hey you're so cute you know like and then we're touching him and he's like well I don't know you why why are you touching me you know like it's yeah Yeah. it's we have to kind of see them more as partners than rather than subordinates right yeah for sure but I think it all sort of stems back to and I've said this in other episodes is you know dog training it originated from the military right Mm -hmm. and so it's it and it's always going to I think well not always I can't we hope that it you know those mm-hmm. those qualities of training and working with animals sort of disappears because it's just it's it's we shouldn't be working against each other like mm-hmm. you said it should be a partnership and I think that that's what most people want when they get a pet mm-hmm. is they want a family member mm-hmm. not um there are probably some sickos out there that uh, who knows they get a dog <laughs> for the wrong reason and they want to you know, they want some, they've got some power control issues or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think the majority of us want a a, a partnership. So I think how we look at working with them um, is changing. Yeah, hopefully. I hope so too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So question about natural supplements, because that is often asked is um, how efficient are they? And Mm -hmm. do you suggest them? Do we have another hour? <laughs> um, you can give us the so, notes, yeah. <laughs> Natural supplements. Um, so I, I, I've seen really good results. Um, I, I have a few supplements that I do work with. And, and I, mm-hmm. I do have, believe it or not, I do have some patients that are not on, on behavior medications. They're just, I just suggest um, uh, supplements to them. 
Um, okay. So I, I do think that there is some out there. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of them have a lot of research behind them, which is a problem. Um, mm-hmm. By the time you come and see me, I'm not going to lie to you. Most of the time, the behavior supplements aren't going to work anymore, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that in those cases, they're oftentimes actually misused. So if I have a dog, let's say we're coming up with the fictional scale of of anxiety from one till 10 right um and your Mm -hmm. dog is is an a seven or higher Mm -hmm. i I don't think that supplements will work with that that's like fighting the flu with with vitamin c right like is it going to support you potentially yeah but it's probably not going to touch the issue right Mm -hmm. um so I think that um, what I always tell my clients is, is when you, if you if you put your dog on this supplement and you have you notice the difference, we're going to leave them on it, and we're going to add medication to it, and then you know the the supplement is supporting um, the, the medication. Um, but what mm-hmm. I generally tell people is is that what what my goal is is that we would get the problem down to a lower level. Again, come mm-hmm. up with a fictional scale and say. We're going to get it down to maybe a three. Well, at that point, supplements might have its place again, right? Because at that point, maybe we can go ahead and control like situational anxiety uh, all of a sudden just with supplements, right? Because now they're able to mm-hmm. touch that, right? Um, so that's, that's sort of how I use them. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest issue is, is that, that they're expensive, right? Um, and right. So sometimes we have to make a choice. It, again, if I have a dog that that's, you know, that's not coming out from behind the couch, well, a supplement is most likely not going to touch that. But if the mm-hmm. owner has financial constraint, well, let's start with medication, get the dog into a more normal state, and mm-hmm. then, then try to get them off medication and maybe transition over to, to a supplement, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, as for the types of supplements, I mean, there are so many out there. We can probably do another three podcasts just about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that kind of goes beyond of what we're going to, um, what we have time for here today. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, deleting to that is the question about CBD mm-hmm. because I'm sure you get it. Um, yeah. do you get it quite a bit? I do get it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some promising research out there. Um, there's good research that has come out already on, um, on pain and CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I, you know, I, I think they've done some really good jobs there. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's an area where I certainly, if we were able to, to prescribe it in BC, that, that that's certainly something that I would consider. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there is currently research going on on epilepsy in, I believe it's just in dogs um, and in people, of course, in, in people that, that, because there's, there's some good anecdotal evidence that it might help. Um, mm-hmm. That research is not out yet. Um, there's more research going on in pain right now. Um, I, you know what, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, there isn't a ton of research on behavioral um, uh, benefits of mm-hmm. CBD um, yeah. that that I know of at least um, but there again there's anecdotal evidence and, and I'm guessing there is studies going on at this point that, that I don't know about yet um, so I think there's a lot of promising results and I think mm-hmm. that this is something that we're going to work with in the future um, the problem that I see right now is, is that um, people are using human products Oh, okay. um, oftentimes, um, I had a client the other day that had a product that had CBD and THC in it. Um, Oops. so yeah. that's also not optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and 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 the dosing there is currently no dosing recommendations there is also a huge variety of of what's actually in these products right mm-hmm. um so i mean there is one licensed product in the states um i believe and i i don't remember the name <laughs> but there is a product uh that that's that's in the states that's that's licensed for osteoarthritic pain in dogs Okay. So that would be certainly be the first thing that I would reach for is a, something that has some studies behind it as far as dosing goes, um, because we have we do have to be careful. Just because something is so called natural doesn't mean it's it's always safe, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so th- I think I've I've had anecdotal evidence um, from from people that have used it in their dogs, and and some people say it didn't do a thing. Um, but then again, right. did we use it properly? Should we have used it in a dog that has a high level of anxiety or can we use it in dogs that have low levels of anxiety? Should we just use it for situational anxiety? Again, mm-hmm. what dose did they use? What product did they use? Those kind of things, right? So I do think there, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of this. Right. Um, but apart from the fact that in BC, and I don't think that there's any states in the, in the US right now um, or in Canada that we're legally allowed to prescribe it. Right. So we're going to have to just wait a little bit longer on that. People have to be patient um, yeah, and just see, you know. Well, I think it's appealing to people in, mm-hmm. or to some people because it is quote unquote natural, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. as you mentioned, natural doesn't necessarily mean safe and it's all over the place right now in terms of quality and source. And mm-hmm. like you said, studies, we need more studies, right? That mm-hmm. are controlled studies that can tell us that, okay, this is effective for for these dogs mm-hmm. in this case in this scenario so and how much yeah. do we use what do we use you know that, yeah. those kind of things is that's that's the biggest issue that i find with mm-hmm. it is, is like which product should we be using you know yeah. there's some really expensive ones and there's a huge variety on what's in those right i've like oh i i have lost yeah. control over what's in those and and which ones could potentially be effective and like i said yeah. nothing not a lot of the products have any um, evidence behind them right now so mm-hmm. that's the biggest issue. And, and again, and behavioral evidence. And unfortunately, we're still not at, on the forefront of veterinary medicine, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. um, we're usually the last ones that get funding for studies and things like that as well, right? So Yeah, which I, I find it shocking and surprising <laughs> because um, when I saw Dr. Overall last or a few months ago, she mm-hmm. said, really, the, the, there's just no funding. There's no funding for studies unless it's, um, I guess through a, a drug company that might benefit from it right mm-hmm. I, guess. I don't know but well and it's not necessarily bad to, to use a drug company it's not necessarily always bad to, to use a drug company right um but right. yeah certainly yeah. if you have independent research it's always better of course um yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah it, it is difficult <laughs> to find the funds for that right um i yeah it's like how many people have dogs you know how, how much how big is the the industry um the pet care industry it's and yeah, it's behavior insane. is behavior is what um can oftentimes make the decision on whether or not an animal stays in a home or not and, and yeah it, it's it's the biggest reason why people surrender their animals right yeah so yeah, i mean no. uh, so I, uh, yeah i agree <laughs> I think that we need uh, some money. We need yeah. more. I know. <laughs> we need more money for to fund these studies to help to fund the dogs, these studies. Yeah, which yeah. always helps the people. That's yeah. the thing, right? Yeah, Because yeah. what's tell me the um, what is that saying that you use quite often about people and dogs? Um, oh, a dogs don't exist in a vacuum. Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah, dogs don't exist so, in a vacuum. Yeah. There's always people around them, right? That um, yeah. That's. I think that's what. Um, 
well-meaning and it, so please understand that well-meaning uh, people oftentimes see wrong is, is when they say oh, I would never surrender my dog and I would never give my dog up for this that and the other problem and mm-hmm. you know I used to be the same and I still am the same and I will always say I will never <laughs> surrender mm-hmm. my dog or my cat um, but um, in the end once you have a child um, and your dog is aggressive towards the child yeah what's going to happen here <laughs> right um, and yeah, it's it's exactly. not necessarily your fault right but um, yeah it's that's a difficult situation right and and so, oh, so hard. you know that's where we need to do education to and prevention yeah yeah it doesn't help to be judgmental of, of the people no, that are in no. these situations right so yeah and um, sometimes it's it's truly the best situation for the dog as well to be out of that yeah. home because yeah, if, if, if your dog is attacking your child yeah there's a reason happy. for it they're not happy right so yeah. um you know sometimes it really truly is the best and again my my goal is always to keep them in the home that they're in it always is and, and if it's best for everyone if it's best right. for everyone that will be the goal because those pets that have anxieties they're probably going to do best in the home that they're currently in but right sometimes it's not possible and and if an owner is is unable to give the dog the care that they need um then yeah. you know sometimes it's better for that dog to to find a different home that that's going to mm-hmm. be committed to them right so, so i mean true. that's how we all that's how i got all three of my animals because <laughs> somebody <laughs> thought that like my one dog yeah. right, is like the reason why i'm in behavior uh the the yeah. you know the previous the first owner died and then oh, really? uh yeah. uh the the sister took the dog and her two children and she just couldn't uh-huh. handle the dog you know and yeah. she's just like I don't know what to do with this dog so she gave her up to the SPCA and then yeah. I got her and I don't know if I'm the ideal home for her or not but she certainly seems happy and we love her to pieces right <laughs> so and that was 10 years ago yeah. so um that's how, how we all got our dogs right yeah so, so you're almost <laughs> thankful sometimes that people do make that decision that and it hurts them I don't oh, know one hurts. person that has made this decision to um or had to to make that decision that feels good about it it's oh like, yeah we really need to have some some compassion for people that are mm-hmm. make that decision you know and do, and help them help them gosh, yeah find a way yeah. to help them instead of judging them just find a way of helping oh, them yeah. it's like these people have i come to so many families where you know where they're just they're broken the families they're fighting amongst each other because yeah you know one person might want to give up the dog the other one doesn't the other one says oh, we should have given the dog up five years ago the other one had has been bitten by the person by by the dog by the person <laughs> um, <laughs> by the dog multiple times you know like the, these people are broken and there is it's more than once that I walk into an appointment and and people will cry Oh yes. um, because yeah. they're just exhausted. They're just emotionally exhausted. And so we can also cannot judge them for using medication to, to, no, to help. They don't you know? need that on top of it. No, else. they can't. No. Like, I mean, that's just terrible. So, no. so yeah. Well, I'm thankful that you are doing what you're doing because it's helping a lot of dogs and people and, I don't know what I'd do without you. Yeah, same goes. I can say the same thing back. Oh, but um, I think it was really an interesting conversation today. I, I hope it, it was um, helpful to anybody listening out there. And um, your website is uh, www.pacificvetbehavior with no U. Mm-hmm. It's I O I O 
R. Yeah. Dot com. <laughs> nice <laughs> job. Dot com. Yeah. Um, and um, and also for those folks looking for um, maybe they don't have access to a, a veterinary behaviorist. Um, if if you know, are there people doing distance consults? I can't um, in the states. I can't remember if there is anybody. Um, um, you know what? I uh, the Tufts University used to do them, but they right, uh, yeah. they don't have enough behaviorists anymore. Uh, and then mm-hmm. there used to be uh, in Toronto. Um, Dr. Linesberg used to do them, but uh, he's, I think, close to retiring. I, I don't know oh. that he still does them. I'm not sure. Um, I do do distance behavior consults um, with the veterinarians um, okay. directly, so I can still do that. Um, I actually don't know if there's anybody. I do believe that there there used to be a lady in, in Seattle. I forgot what her name was, um, but I, I believe that she moved away from Seattle there is yeah. um, there is a couple of people in Portland. There's Dr. Perkel in Portland, um, but mm-hmm. I don't know if he does behavior uh, distance behavior consultations. Um, and then there is uh, uh, Dr. Volley. Uh, I don't know how to say her her last name. Oh, Volley, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. From Synergy Behavior um, is, is her. That's her okay. company. Um, she's she's still a resident. Um, uh, she's completed her residency, but she's waiting to to write boards. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if any of them do. Those are the closest here on on the on the west coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, there is, I believe, no more than seventy five. I think seventy five diplomats, like wow. those are finished across North America. Uh-huh. Um, and I believe that there is, and, and I don't know the exact number to be quite honest, I've been meaning to find out, but there is about 35 to 40 residents. Um, I'm okay. going to be meeting with most of them at the uh, uh, behavior symposium in a couple of weeks in Denver. Nice. Flying out tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not easy to, to find somebody. <laughs> no, um, it's not. But I've been contacted by a couple of people that want to do a residency. So hopefully... Um, Excellent. Hopefully we're going to see some more people around. Um, but if you want to look for a behaviorist close to you, if you're not in, in, in BC, um, then go to the uh, uh, American College of Veterinary Behaviors. That's D as in diplomats and then acvb.org. Um that's they have a, a list of diplomats mm-hmm. um so you'll find them there and then you can contact the closest one to you um you can always try to contact me and see if i can help you out and and mm-hmm. find a way of helping um you either find somebody or uh or help through your veterinarian just note mm-hmm. that we're currently because we're so booked not taking any new clients until august uh 15th of this year mm-hmm. so right now we're we're shut down a bit. Um, so unless you're already a current client, then, then obviously okay. we're helping you. But um, otherwise, until then, we're not taking clients. Excellent. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's helpful. Thank you so much Perfect. for joining us. That Thank you great. so much. It's yeah. great talking okay. to you. Thanks, awesome. Director. Have Take a care. great day. Bye, Renee. Bye-bye.